Welcome to Copilots, the podcast where we watch not just the first episode of a show, but also the second. Some shows just don't have the best pilot episode, and giving it that second chance might just change your mind. It might not, though. It probably won't, but who knows? But here, we take that chance for you, and let you know our opinion on if a show deserves more than just one shot. I'm Justice. Alongside me is my co-pilot, Josh. Now, let's get ready for takeoff. Your in-flight entertainment this week will be... Friday the 13th of the series? From 1987, you're correct. Fun. You know, the most fun part about this whole thing, though, is... All the Jason cameos? Yeah, all the Jason cameos. By which we mean none, right? Because, as we found out after starting the show, Friday the 13th, the series, has nothing to do with Friday the 13th, the movie series, although they are the same intellectual property. See, the producer that made the TV show was also involved with Friday the 13th 2 through, like, 8, and so... Wanting his TV show to be more successful, he, he asked the production company if he could use the Friday the 13th name. And they were like, yeah, of course. We also want this to be successful so we can sell ad time. And, and so we got a show called Friday the 13th, the series, with nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, honestly, I don't think that would have made it good. That would imply there's something good about the Friday the 13th movies. And sure, they could be worse but the first one couldn't be much worse it's pretty much the oh yeah no, the first yeah. one's bad the first yeah, one's yeah, yeah. the first one's bad i know i don't understand how it wants to series but whatever anyways this is from 1987 the first episode is entitled the inheritance let's get into it so our main character is a boy named aragon and <laughs> i'm sorry my brain went to the inheritance trilogy i had to do it no go on <laughs> how does how does aragon start how does it start? Yeah, do you remember? Okay, do you want me to start with how it starts? Because it starts in media res, or do you want me to start with Aragon? I want you to start with the first page of the book. Okay, the first page should be... I don't mean the, like, thank yous or credits. Yeah, or no. Okay. It should be the elf lady whose name I don't remember, running through the forest, away from Galatrax's forces, because she has the last dragon egg that she stole from his armory of dragon eggs. And then, about to be caught, she teleports it away to where the egg should hopefully find a worthy rider. We then meet... Our young farm boy, Aragon, who, while exploring in the woods for a bit, stumbles across a dragon's egg. And then the books were successful enough to spawn a very bad movie. See, I wasn't going to stop you, but I actually think it'd be more entertaining to try to hear you recount the inheritance cycle from memory, having not read the books in like a decade and a half. The main thing I can tell you is our Grat Lem is Silverhand and Ronan's a badass. Rowan. Close enough. And his fiance is dead? His fiance does die. Yeah. And then he beats people to death with hammers. I'm really sad you couldn't do more of that off the top of your head. <laughs> I probably could have if I really wanted to. There's not really a lot going on in the first chapter. He's just raising a fucking dragon while his dad's kind of an asshole. It's not his dad, though, right? Like he doesn't. It's know his, his uncle, dad. I think, actually. Yeah. yeah. So I, think, I don't remember. Who gives a fuck? Who is Brom to him? How does he meet Brom? He gets pulled. Brom, I think, is just like a guy in town. I don't really... He might be a town drunk. He might be the town drunk, I think. He's the town drunk. He's the town drunk. drunk. Gabaldrax's forces show up. He realizes he has a dragon. Brahm used to be a dragon rider. Bullshit happens. They run escape. Brahm eventually dies. You know, we have a first class flyer. He's going to be really upset with our misremembering of any details from Aragorn. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. It's been forever. I remember the Brad points. Look, Brisinger is fire. That's another thing I just remembered. And like I said, a grot lamb silverhand. Congratulations. Oh, and the... Urukai are cool? Aren't those the orc people? Yeah, they're like the orc people that are really bad representations of natives in like the first book and a half. And then they we get more of them. They're actually really, really cool and badasses. And later there's that Urukai dragon rider, and he's the best. I don't remember an Urukai dragon rider. It's like the fourth book at the very, very end when they mention that there's more dragon riders now. I don't think I've read the fourth book. You should. You should have done that instead of watching this show. Which this show starts with a not bad intro, actually. It was a dark and stormy night. When I found myself passing by that tavern. No. Anyways, though, so it starts with our opening, which is, I think, mostly on a harp. Sounds vaguely like a harp. I don't know. We pen uh. down a door through its keyhole into a room filled with oddities and antiquities. We move along and then on like a fucking crystal decanter, maybe? It's a cookie jar. It's a glass cookie jar. Okay. It says Friday the 13th, the series. And then it's a dark and stormy night. Mm-hmm. And there are three people walking along the street, and they are headed towards Louis Vendereyes. 
they're heading to an antique shop. Yeah, I don't remember how his name is. Vindurai, Vindurai. I, I never wrote down his name. I also never wrote down the name of the antique shop, either before they renamed it or after they renamed it. After they renamed it, it's Curious Goods. No, it's the antique shop. Anyways, though, these people head inside. It is a man, a woman, and their daughter. I didn't realize it was a daughter at first. Really? I, I put in my notes. Let me see. People, a family, mom, father, child, maybe a daughter. Honestly, you know what? I'm in the wrong here. Yeah, you're the one assuming genders. I am. I am. I'm in the wrong here. Now, see, the issue is you can't find this show on the internet except on YouTube in 180p. Or the Internet Archive. Yes, which has it in like maybe 360. Maybe 360. Yeah, it's hard to tell. It's a bit better than the 240. Oh, yeah. It's 240 on. On YouTube, yeah. Yeah. It's still terrible quality. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be like a little boy or a little girl. Yeah, got you. But we see an older man who's kind of puttering about the place, muttering to himself. And when the family comes in, he's like, we're closed. And they're like, um, actually, your sign says you're open till 8. And your door's still unlocked, so you're actually... Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of those people. And he's just like, whatever. It's fine. Oh, the dad's like, look, we're not actually looking to buy anything. We just wanted some place to dry off while we wait for our car to get fixed. Yeah, which, uh, sure, I guess. But also, you just walked into my shop. They told me you're not buying anything. And then the old man's like, sure, whatever. Browse around. Feel free. Mm-hmm. And the woman tells the daughter, Mary, not to make a peep and to not touch anything. Yeah. And then Mary proceeds to touch stuff and play with stuff. And yeah. Because, of course, the parents immediately stop paying attention to her because the mother's just like, ooh, silver. I think she's like Hungarian silver or something. Like, ooh, my, my, my. Yeah, she points out that it's like a certain type of silver. My grandmother had a set of this Hungarian silver. Nah, she married into this family's wealth. Yeah, but she, like, was talking about her grandparents having, like... Nah. No, no, I know. I didn't pay attention to anything she said. So then, Mary ends up finding a creepy doll. Well, the owner scolds her first, oh, yeah, and he's yeah, like, there's a these are not things to be toyed with. And then the mother yells at the daughter, she's like, I told you not to mess with anything. And the daughter's like, you're not my real mom. My real mom died. I love that you're not my real mom energy in 1987. Yeah, and then, of course, she's just like, are you gonna let her talk to me like that, talking to her husband, assembly? and he's just like, look, she'll behave, it's fine. And then she doesn't behave. Instead, she goes, finds a doll, and it's really creepy, and she stares at her, and she stares at it, and then she steals it. Yeah, she picks it up, runs out of the store. And then she murders a man. Yep. You know, I don't want to explain that. Can we just leave it at that? She murders a man, go back inside? She murders one of the men working on their car. Yeah. Yeah. And then she goes back inside, because she murdered a man, and that's her reaction to murdering a man. I, I should clarify, them. We don't, you don't need to feel bad for the man, because initially he did start out like being like, oh, hey, little girl, where are your parents? You shouldn't be out here by yourself. Yeah, it, and then it it's not really- safe. And then it went really creepy to him being like, oh, you're going to be a bad girl? And he died. I mean, he was like, oh, you got a mouth on you. Yeah. Because she was like, don't talk to me. Mm. Don't talk to us. Leave us alone. He, he doesn't deserve sympathy. He's scum. Mm. But yeah, she murders a man. Yep. There is an important line bit here, though, because the porcelain doll has a string on it that you pull for like a voice box. Yes. Which is a weird thing to see on a porcelain doll. Its name is Vita. Yes, she pulls it, and the doll introduces itself. It's, hello, my name is Vita. And Mary, the girl, she's like, you can talk. And the doll responds, obviously, because that's the type of show this is. I can do all sorts of things. So can you. And to be fair, Mary doesn't kill the man. The doll kills him. But She karate chops through his carotid artery. Maybe. It's hard to tell. It's bad quality. And we learn later the doll has telekinetic powers. So who knows? Now that we know she has telekinetic powers, I like to believe that she didn't karate chop his throat. Just unzipped his skin. She just telekinesed his throat towards her, just like that one section. Yeah, it makes sense. Anyways, though, she runs back into the store, and her mother sees her and her dad, and her mother, she's like, what are you doing? You ruined your dress. That was a new dress. It was nice, and it's ruined. Yeah, because it's covered in blood now. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the woman's talking to the dad, and she's like, trying to get him to get her to go, and basically she just wants to leave, and then Mary kind of insists upon getting the doll. So her dad's like, sure, I'll get it. How much is it? And the old man, the purveyor of this It's not for sale. Nothing's for sale. Get out of my store. And he rushes them out. Which, honestly, even if we didn't realize this was going to be a war franchise, I'm still on the man's side. She ran outside, stole his property. Yeah, sure, she came back, but I don't trust them anymore. They all need to get out. Also, they were just a nuisance. So after after they leave, he bags up the doll, says, I don't care what we said. I'm not not doing this for you anymore. I'm not doing your bidding anymore. Yeah. Storms downstairs to where he has a vault that's like half like, it's like the walls are like being bricked up, but there's a vault behind where this wall is going to be. I always assumed the walls were being broken down. Mm. Anyways, there's a vault. He opens the vault, throws the doll in there, 
Closes the door. The burlap sack of dolls. He puts more than one in there. Mm, yes. Closes the door. And then, while this is all happening, wind's gushing upstairs, blows through the door and windows, is throwing stuff around yeah. up, upstairs. He gasps and kind of runs towards the stairs. And then there's a loud, like, well, not loud, but like a dark, low chuckling. Mm-hmm. And fiery <laughs> and fiery footprints start appearing on the stairs going down towards him. So he so, gasps and runs away. So he runs towards a like chain link fence a metal grating yeah it's a metal grating for an elevator for like an, a yeah. freight elevator and it won't open and then these ghost spirit things come pouring well, out well of the bef- before we get that no <laughs> these scooby-doo ass 13 ghost ass motherfucking ghosts so as he's running we get flashes of like a piano playing by itself a radio static in between channels a barometer just spinning a mercury thermometer on top of the barometer because it's one of those fun combinations just increasingly going up and those are the ghosts that are flying around him. It's the ghost of these objects. He forgot the crucifix. And then a crucifix appears. And he goes to grab the crucifix and it burns his hand. And then the, the door to the elevator actually does open. And he steps into the lift. Yeah. And on the floor, suddenly there's some demonic sigils. And they look on fire. And then the elevator floor just disappears. And he's holding onto the metal grating. And it kind of looks like the grating shocks him. Or there's like a blowback yeah. from fire. He lets go and he falls way too far down an elevator shaft that doesn't actually exist underneath this store. And that's it. He's gone. Yeah. Um, Uncle Louis is dead. Yeah. To note here, this is the 80s. The effects aren't great. You can tell they are obviously layered on top of the film. It's not good. It's just it, do- it does not live up to any quality whatsoever that I can think of. And it was bad. And then we cut to soothing sacks and daylight in a peaceful city. It's very bright. It's very bright daylight. Watching this in a dark room, going from the hell basement to the daylight, literally hurts your eyes. Mm-hmm. Then we cut from like this lake or oceanside area. There's boats. I thought it was a riverside, but yeah. I was thinking it was like Lake Michigan. He's like, that's possible. Yeah. yeah. It looks like that type of area, like in the summer. And we cut from the lake to a very well-to-do neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And this couple is having an argument. The man is like, well, we had this thing we're doing this weekend, this work picnic. You were supposed to come with me. Work getaway. This work getaway. We were going to announce to everybody that we were engaged. And she's like, I can't help it. I have to go do this thing. And my uncle died. He left me a score I don't want. Heavy exposition, heavy exposition, heavy exposition. And to which he replies that, well, I guess you do need to go meet up with this cousin who also like co-owns it. Hmm. Maybe I could sue your cousin for more of the inheritance. Because get he, some litigation experience. Because he is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I want to also mention here that she has a British accent in this scene. Does she? Yes. It's very inconsistent. But she has a British accent in the scene. And then never again. Ooh. Spooky. I didn't notice. Yeah. Crazy. Anyways, though, we then cut to her arriving by taxi at the store. And so she gets out. She walks into the store. Obviously, she's just calling for people. Everything's covered with sheets. So, of course, she has to look under one, and ooh, it's a scary statue. And then she bumps up against the counter, and a man out of a mask pops up and just starts screaming at her. It's her cousin. He's mm-hmm. a dick. And then he's clear she introduces herself. He's like, oh, I was expecting a man. I thought the telegram said Michael. Fucking telegram. 1987 mm-hmm. is when this show came out. I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves. But episode two, they use messenger pigeons. Yeah. Messenger pigeons have been extinct for over 70 years by the time episode two was filmed. Yep. This show is weird as fuck in that regard. It's only in the regards of communication. They also use telegrams in episode two. They also use telephones. See, though, I kind of get telegrams in episode two, right? Because it's like 1987. Yeah. And you're either using a fax or a telegram to communicate across the ocean like that, right? Yeah, I guess. I, I guess you could have just called the other Abby. I, I don't know. If, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you yeah. could. You could have. You definitely, yeah. But I think it would probably have been cheaper Probably, but yeah. I mean, also you're uh, an Abbey, so you're a nonprofit, so you're not paying fucking money on that. I mean, they could have also just used a messenger pigeon. They could have because they have those. Yep. Anyways, though, so her and her cousin are talking. They introduce themselves. His name is Ryan, and she's Michelle, but she goes by Mickey. And they are cousins. Mm-hmm. And he wants to fuck her. It's not established here, but it yes, is. it is. She turns around to pick something up in like less than two minutes, and he's just bullseye staring at her ass. I honestly didn't pay much attention. And I didn't notice that originally, but there are lines later that do not hide anything. And so they start exploring their place. And Ryan, like, sarcastically says it looks like a great place. Maybe fun to fix up. That part sounds serious. And we also learn that the place has no current electricity. The telephone line is down. And they're kind of just going through old shit. There's, like, a cage, a spear, an axe, 
So the big thing is they find a car, a very nice car, mm-hmm. and he gets in the front seat, she gets mm-hmm. in the back, and like they're just actually being kind of like happy because like this car is nice. It's a and, very nice car. And then a black cat jumps into the back seat with her, and, and she freaks the it's fuck like, out. It's the reaction you would expect, as if like a rat suddenly crawled up her leg or over her foot. Yeah, but it's a cat. It's just a black cat. And she freaks out, and she runs in the car, and she's like, I'm done. I want to go. I just want to sell this place and get it over. He's just like, but I don't want to sell it. Anyways, they find themselves in the basement. Uh, They they managed to open the vault just by pulling on the doors, but like the doors want to close. So he puts a metal rod bracing one of the doors. Looked to me like a fireplace poker. Yeah, I couldn't tell exactly, but yeah, fireplace poker. And so they both go into the vault and then they hear something outside. So he goes out to investigate. The door somehow breaks this fireplace poker. Well, we see it slowly bending it and then the force of it just catapults the thing out and then mickey is stuck in a vault with a demonic doll that likes to kill people yep and an axe flies next to her head and seems to impel into this stone door Mm -hmm. because the vault's door seems to be made of stone not metal and so ryan's outside the vault trying to figure out how to open it he stumbles up against a brick wall and suddenly the vault door opens yeah yeah she goes running up the steps trips grabs a banister opens up a secret compartment where a book falls out of from from the ceiling it's like a secret compartment built into the air vent yeah yeah. And this book has a record of all the antiques that their uncle sold mm-hmm. and who he sold them to. Which, you know, just feels like a thing you would keep, I don't know, fucking behind the counter or in an office with your tax records. I don't know. It feels like, because he keeps way too much information on them. Like, when you sell somebody a piano, you don't go, oh, can I get your first, last name, your home address? Like, you do you're if you're selling them a piano and you're delivering it. Okay. So, like, if you sell them a lamp, though, you're not like, can I get your first and last name and, and your yes, home you address? Yes, you do. It's how you send them all kinds of annoying advertisements. It's the 80s. They don't have cell phones. How else do you harass them for the rest of their existence? Because they once shopped at your store. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah. So then they get into an argument. She's like, look, we're just selling everything and we're selling the place. We just need to get it appraised and sold so I can get back to my life. And he's like, yeah. I thought we were going to run this together. And she's like, no. no. Whatever gave you that impression, you're an idiot. Yeah. And he calls her uh, a tight ass and she gets angry, throws a glass at him yep it shatters and then he goes we're selling it over my dead body yeah and then we cut to the next morning i'd like to point out something here though Mm -hmm. so supposedly this is all they get in they have their little scare their meat and then they're walking through and they end up in the garage and then in the basement right Mm -hmm. when they come up back from the basement the room is now lit with all kinds of candles Mm -hmm. they had candles up there originally Mm -hmm. i guess i just missed it yeah you missed a lot of this show not the first episode apparently (laughs) anyways so we cut to them outside the store the next day. They're having a going out of business sell with hot deals. Red hot deals. Mm-hmm. Ryan is admitting that he never really wanted to run a business anyways. And he is leering at any woman going in or out of the store, basically. Then the father from the opening scene comes back. He's like, hey, I was here about six months ago. There was a doll. Mouth was like kind of puppety-ish so it could pretend to talk. Do you still have that? And Ryan's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure we do. Let me go find it. And so Ryan offers to sell the doll to the man because the man's asking to buy it. Mm-hmm. Mickey's like, no, we can't sell that one. Ryan goes, fuck you. You said we're selling everything. Yeah. So he sells it to the guy. Yeah. They're wrapping up for the night. Ryan says they should have everything sold by the next day. Yep. And then someone in monk-like robes just breaks into the building. I called it a cloak. Yeah. That's a cloak. Yeah, it's a cloak. Very unexpected to see a cloak in 1987. So they're in like the back room on the first floor. Yes. And this guy in the cloak goes upstairs. Mm-hmm. So they go looking for him. And when they yep. find him, he brandishes like a knife with like a... No, it's a sword. It is a sword. It is a full-blown fucking sword. Yeah, he brandishes a sword at them. Um, we find out his name is Jack Marshak, and he gives us a bunch of exposition. I'm going to run down this really fast. Yeah, please do. He explains that he used to deliver antiques to the store. They ask why he's delivering antiques in the middle of the night. He said he's not delivering. He's here to pick up a paycheck because... Lewis was very bad about paying him. And so he's looking for his paycheck. They don't know what he's talking about because he's not in any of the papers they have and lewis is dead jack didn't know lewis is dead Mm -hmm. lewis and jack were best friends all three of them sit down at the kitchen table have some coffee and discuss uncle lewis jack tells them that introduced lewis to magic Mm -hmm. and tarot magic astrology and they were best friends until lewis started dabbling in darker magics and they started falling apart and (sighs) also that uncle lewis made a deal with the devil to sell cursed antiques well that we don't get that yet but, I mean, it's very shortly Yeah, it was very shortly after this. He has a list of, like, all the artifacts he's brought. Yeah. And that li- they line that up with the ledger where that, of artifacts that have been sold. And then they, they line that up with a second manifest well, no. they find. Well, like, before they do the whole book thing is when they learn about the devil thing. Because Ryan surprisingly knows what a doozin is. 
Oh, yes, you're right. My bad. Yeah, and he, he just knows what demons or devils are called in Gaul. So apparently Uncle Lewis liked to hide stuff in secret compartments, though, yeah. which is why they found the ledger uh, hidden in that secret yep. compartment. But Jack goes, I, there's another secret compartment somewhere over here. Managed in the to floor, find it. yeah. And it's instead a like list of people who have died related to antiques. Yeah, it's a book, and like in the book are clippings from like newspapers and stuff. Yeah, and those antiques all line up with antiques that were sold by Lewis. And they put two and two together that he was selling cursed antiques for immortality. And yeah. then Mickey's and, like, how does that work? He died. Yeah, she's completely skeptical, and Jack is like, mm. Ryan's just like, no, nah, I think it makes sense. Yeah. And Jack's like, well, he died because he tried to go back on his deal. He tried to stop selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we cut to Mary receiving her doll from her father. And she's so happy. She hugs her father. And he's like, that's fine. It's terrific. Just don't let your mother know I got you a present. Then the stepmother and the father are arguing about it. She's like, you spoiler. I'm going to take care of that doll. Don't you worry about it. So there's that. Then we come back to the antique store. Mm-hmm. Ryan and Mickey are just tra- digging through the sales records. Yeah. To try to find the doll and the address for the person that bought it. Mm-hmm. So then they find it. They say, ready to set out. And then the doll starts convincing Mary that... Well, we have Jack saying he's going off to a card reader because this is their chance to write Jack out and not actually use him for the episode. Oh, yeah. I didn't Mm -hmm. note that, but sure. I did because he just doesn't show up again, even though he's the most knowledgeable in all of this. Yeah, he's Uncle Bobby. Honestly, this show actually has some really strong parallels to both Warehouse 13 and to Supernatural, except it's not good. Yeah, it has decent bones, and that's it. Yeah, and Jack, whatever his last name was... Marshak is very much like a Bobby Singer yeah. style character. He has like the knowledge, but he's always too busy doing something else to actually help out. Yep. So at Mary's house, the doll is starting to convince Mary that she needs to punish her stepmother, that her stepmother is very mean to her. Mm-hmm. Um, the stepmother interrupts Mary's tea party where she's talking to this doll, Vita, um, tells her that she's taking the new doll away as a punishment because Mary left her bike in the driveway again after she had been told not to before and had promised not to leave it there anymore. Yeah. She's only taking it away for a week. She's not taking it away forever. Yeah, like, she's like... This This is a very reasonable punishment. It's like, mm-hmm. you left your bike in the driveway. Not only is that an issue for your bike, but, like, it could hurt somebody's vehicle, which is very expensive, and, yeah. like... Now, don't get me wrong. The way this woman approaches it, even before she shows up to go take the doll, seems very aggressive. Like, she's just looking for a reason to punish her, but... This isn't an unreasonable thing still. So she takes the doll, puts it in the hall closet. Surprisingly, she manages to take the doll without getting her throat slit because, like, mm-hmm. I I just figured she was dead here because, like... Yeah, exactly, but no. The doll can just karate chop your throat, so, yeah, like... It, well, like, most predators, it has a... It has a warning sign. It goes... And then you get killed somehow. Not necessarily. It, it, it attacks it, you it, somehow. It, it goes... And then uses magic somehow. Yeah. Like, it telepathically swings swings at you. Or, or throws records at you. Or makes a clown thing on a playground spit fire. No, just briefly combust. Uh, Anyways, so... She puts it in the closet on the top shelf mm-hmm. in the hallway. And then we see Ryan and Nikki get in the car. And mm-hmm. then Mary gets her doll out of the closet. Yeah, Mary climbs up the closet, gets her doll back. And her mom comes up the stairs and sees her and confronts her. And she's like, look, this is it. You can't be doing that. Give I me the, the doll, doll back. Away. And the doll, like, uses telepathy to move a roller skate behind the mother. Like those old roller skates, the ones that slap onto the bottom of your shoes. Yeah. And then Mary and the doll, like, aggressively walk towards the mother so that she steps back, back. a couple times. <laughs> steps on a roller skate, falls down the stairs. Spiral staircase. Yes. And as she falls down the spiral staircase, there are discordant piano keys being played. Yep. So mm-hmm. Mickey and Ryan, while the ambulance is getting the mother packed away mickey and ryan get there and try to talk to mary about getting the doll back and she basically says no i'm keeping the doll and then gets in the ambulance with her stepmother yeah and then we're at the hospital Mm -hmm. her father is worried about his wife obviously and he goes to find a doctor and the doll is now telling mary do it now kill her and so mary walks up and puts the doll on her mom's face and she doesn't put the doll on her face she holds it next to it and we hear a hiss and then the doll leaps but it's very obvious someone threw it from off camera and then the woman caught it and held it against her throat and thrashed about for a bit yeah and then the mother dies so i assume she was strangled no she has a cardiac arrest we find that out oh yeah because the next morning ryan and mickey are at the nurse's station asking about the mother yeah they know her last name they ask sims yeah and they say that they're related to her and the nurse is like oh she passed away last night of a cardiac event yeah and then we cut to Mr. Sims, as we've now learned, talking to a nanny of some it's sort. It's a neighbor. A neighbor? She, yeah, she's a neighbor. Yeah. And um, he's, you know, obviously distraught, but he's like, thank you for helping watch her. I 
I have to go do all kinds of funeral I stuff. I can't imagine how hard this is for her. This is the same mother she's lost. She's only like eight years old or some shit. Yeah. Maybe seven or six. It's hard to tell. And the woman's like, hey, it's fine. She won't be a problem. This is a really hard time for you, too. I'm here to help if you need it. So inside, the neighbor is watching Mary. Mary's playing with her toys and... Introducing her dolls, all of her other stuffed animals. Yeah. And it, it's a little bit weird to the neighbor. She kind of keeps looking side-eye at Mary. Because Which I don't see how that's weird. That sounds like something a kid does when they get a new It's toy. just the way she's talking to the doll. Yeah, like, I guess. But the kid looks weird anyway. She's classic horror movie kid. So then Mary demands more chocolate chip cookies. Yes. They. Um, she says, we. Yeah. And the neighbor's like, oh, you've had too many already. And then she ends up giving them to her. She's like, I just didn't want you to have, like, have an upset stomach. Yeah. But if you want them, here they are. Mary snatches out of her hand aggressively. And the neighbor's like, you didn't have to be that aggressive about it. Maybe mm. it's time for a nap. She's like, I'm not tired. And then Vita starts telepathically throwing records at well, this neighbor woman. Yeah, because Mary demands she leaves. And the woman's like, no, it's my, it's my job to watch you. And then I was like, I know what to do. All of the stuffed animals turn, look at her, and the woman's like, what the fuck? And then gets bombarded with records. And then the stuffed animals kind of come to life and, like, start assaulting her. Yeah. And, like, it's not a snake. It's like a... It was a giraffe, wasn't it? Well, it's, a, it's a, the thing that strangles her. Oh, I don't know what the fuck that was. Yeah, I don't know if that was supposed to be. It's like a, a string or something. Yeah. It starts strangling her, and then the bookshelf falls on top of her. Honestly, it looked like a deflated, like, balloon. So then he and Ryan get there. They hear her screaming for help. Mm-hmm. And by the time they find her, the bookshelf has set itself back up and all the toys. The room back. has just cleaned itself and Mary has bailed out of the house. Yep. So Ricky, I'm going to keep portmanteauing their names by accident. <laughs> so Mickey and Ryan find a dead neighbor nanny. She's not dead yet. She's still alive. Oh, soon to be dead. Mm-hmm. Ryan calls an ambulance and is attending to her while Mickey chases after the little girl who's went to a nearby playground. Yep. And is on a swing with Vita. Yeah, so she approaches her and she's like, hey, I need the doll back. And Mary's obviously like, it's my, it's my doll. It's my friend. No, it's not going to happen. So Vita then telepathically attacks her with a swing set while Mary moves over to a merry-go-round. Yeah. And then while she gets out of the swings, she walks over towards a tetherball. And while she's doing that, a giant clown, like, I don't know what type of toy it is. It, it's some playground equipment. It looks like a pole of some sort with and a giant clown face on it and yeah it breathes fire and then I, the tetherball really starts assaulting fire. her it feels more like they put a, ba- a bit of gasoline inside of its head and then lit it because it just goes up in a ball of flames around the entire thing and then it's immediately done and then the tetherball starts attacking her and then attacking is a strong word it spins around once barely taps her head and yeah that's it so the tetherball starts attacking her and then she finally gets on the merry-go-round and the merry-go-round spinning itself at massively high speeds which is just fun Ryan gets there. He's like, Mickey, you have to hold on. Hold on, Mickey. You have to hold on. And then Ryan manages to grab the doll and pry it away from Mary as the merry-go-round is spinning. So Mary goes flying off. And the entire time, storm clouds are gathering Mm -hmm. overhead. Mm -hmm. And then once the doll comes out of Mary's hands and Mary goes flying off the merry-go-round, the storm clouds dissipate. The merry-go-round stops. And Mary's on the ground crying because she skinned her knee. Yep. And Mickey immediately like runs over and starts mothering her. And it's awkward and weird because she's a random child who you, you just kissed the boo-boo of. Mm-hmm. Well, not awkward at all. You also stole her toy. Then we cut back to the antique shop. Jack closes the vault with the implication that the doll is now inside. He tells us that cursed items, once cursed, can, cannot be destroyed. Yep. Mickey calls her fiance Lloyd to tell him that she's going to be a little bit longer than she thought, and he hangs up on her in the middle of the conversation. Yeah. And the episode ends with Jack looking at something and going, oh my god! And we never find out what that was because it doesn't pick up on that in episode two. It's just... An ending that's a cliffhanger that does nothing. Yeah. I mean, I would like to know, Jack locks the vault by pushing on a random brick. Also, the ending credits are just over a picture of the porcelain doll, Vita. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Justice, what did you think of episode one of Friday the 13th, the series? It's so boring. It's just boring. It has good bones, but it's boring. Like, the bad effects could be forgiven. It's from the fucking 80s. I don't mind that. Like... I honestly think the way effects like that were done, like doing your effect on a, another layer on top of your film, actually really cool. I'm a bit dated, I think, even for the late 80s, actually. Mm-hmm. But like, it's fine. But it's just badly done all around and boring. And it frustrates me because, like I said, the show actually has decent bones. It could have been a good show. Well, yeah, because the show later would become Warehouse 13. Yeah, and which is a fun show. And Death Note. All of these shows were originally Friday the 13th, the series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the show was the basis for all of them. 
Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on Friday the 13th, the series, episode one, The Inheritance? Let me just read verbatim my notes here. Show bad, terrible, boring, garbage. Not a single reason to watch. Sometimes, though, the first episode is enough. Yeah. That those are those are my notes verbatim. Um, this this show is terrible. Don't uh, watch it. I'm not. Yeah, don't. We, don't we're not gonna watch any more of it. That's it. That's all we watched. We didn't watch episode two. Unfortunately, actually, we did. But I'll let you know. We we literally waited over an hour to watch the next episode because we just could not do it right after that. The show's so good, Justice. It's so good. Yeah, I just couldn't. I couldn't handle another episode after. I thought my mind just like would melt from how awesome and rad it was. And now episode two. Woo. The Death Note. No, the Poison Pin, but pretty close. I'm pretty sure this was the inspiration for Death Note. Oh yeah, Oba and Abata, definitely huge fans of Friday the 13th, the series. I wouldn't be surprised if they were fans of American horror movies. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised about that. I'd be surprised if anyone was a fan of this. Yeah, but like they might have been a fan of American horror movies and like watched the first like four or five episodes of this before stopping. Yeah, I guess. Anyways, though. This episode, we open up on the Eternal Brotherhood. Well, we open up on the exterior shot of the Eternal Brotherhood. Of an abbey. Yes. Home to the Eternal Brotherhood. Mm hmm. And we then quickly move inside. Also, in case you're wondering, this is the same castle that's used in everything in the. Up until like the mid 2000s, late aughts. It is. It's the X Mansion. Well, yeah, it's the mansion in Canada, mm-hmm. just outside of Toronto. Is it Toronto? Yeah, I think it's in Toronto, yeah. Just outside of Toronto, where they shoot everything. Scott mm-hmm. Pilgrim, X-Men. Yeah, so... Terrible co- terrible horror shows made in 1987. Yep, we cut to the inside, and it is a group of monks talking about if they should or should not sell the Abbey. And essentially, they all agree they shouldn't, except one brother, Brother LaCroix, who says... Personally, he thinks selling it to be able to do a lot of good with the money they would get, but he will vote in the manner that the abbot votes. I have to ask a question real fast. Mm -hmm. Based on how old this abbey is portrayed to be, even if they sold it to realtor developers like the show seems to be implying, I don't think they could have torn it down, right? Like, I would think not, but honestly, it depends on where they are, and this show does not establish anything about locations. Toronto, Canada. We already established that. I mean, yes, we know where the that is so then we cut to a monk in a cloister it's obviously brother lacroix mm-hmm. the dissenting voice amongst the monks and like i want to say it's we're not supposed to know it's brother lacroix and they do hide his face from us but it is the same voice because they have now the same it's actor. all whispery and annoying and low and but he's ready really and badly balanced and narrating the actions of the abbot mm-hmm. and he has the abbot go to the rooftop because the rabbit enjoys interacting with their messenger pigeons yes the rabbit does Yes, the rabbit. I don't care if I mispronounce. <laughs> the abbot enjoys interacting with their messenger pigeons that they keep up there because they have a horde of messenger pigeons. Yeah. Over 70 years after messenger pigeons went extinct. Anyways, it's because the abbot always had a fancy for the idea of flight. And he thinks he himself can fly. We well, see him start to hover up off the roof of the abbey. And then he jumps off the roof and dies. Jump is a strong word because... Assumingly, that would be the actual action he took, but on camera, from his perspective, he floats up over the edge and then no, he definitely floated. Falls. Up. He definitely floated up. The like it's not just from his perspective. This journal can make you do magic. Oh, stuff. oh yeah, definitely. I mean the the, the pen. Sorry, it's not, yeah, it's not the journal. It's you can write on any piece of paper. Yep. And then we cut to the antique store now renamed Curious Goods at the suggestion of Jack Marshtock. No, it's still just called the antique store. Yeah, sure. And Ryan is talking about how the monk known as the Oracle of Death has accurately predicted another death. Something like eight deaths, a plane crash, a house fire, and some other thing. Mm-hmm. And Mickey, obviously, is just like, mm, no, how could anyone predict that? And then Jack is like, well, have you never heard of Nostradamus? He predicted so many things. He predicted things thousands of years after he died, and they've all come true. He was a true prophet. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's definitely obviously not the case. So then Jack notices on the newspaper that the monk called the Oracle of Death is using a quill pen that he specifically remembers acquiring for Uncle Lewis's antique collection. Yeah, he picked it up in Tierra del Fuego and it's made from the tail feather of a giant Chilean condor. The worst kind of condor. Mm -hmm. And so he recognizes that it's an outcursed object. So he writes them an introduction letter on 14th century paper. I don't know why he specifically needs 14th century paper. Yeah, it's funny. He's like, I'm glad I always keep a couple sheaves of 14th century parchment around. Yeah, and he says this letter could fool the Pope himself. And they are going to the Abbey. 
with the information that they are looking for a Rupert Selden because they dig through the manifest. But books. hold on, hold on. The Abbey is only for a brotherhood, and Mickey's a girl. Yeah, I don't want to. Do so, that in order to make Mickey look like a boy, they take her shirt off, and then Ryan wraps her in like binds her chest mm-hmm. and fills her up. Yep. To which she she like pushes him away and puts her cloak on. He's like, "You don't have to put that on just yet." And she's like, "Yes, I do." And he goes, "I don't know. You're the prettiest boy I've, I've ever seen." The set the incest undertones for episode one are now incest overtones in episode two, and it's gross. Yeah, yeah, it is. So we cut to the Abbey. They arrive. They meet. You know what my favorite part of that part is though. What's that? How contrived that bullshit is because Mickey and Ryan are going and mm-hmm. Jack's just staying. But fun fact, passengers, a little bit of a spoiler if you're in a bit, Jack shows up anyways. Weird, right? Yeah. And so uh, then, like you were saying, they show up at the Abbey. They meet a brother, Frank. Yeah, Drake, right? Dr- uh, maybe, I don't know. I think I, we're talking about the one with like the mullet almost, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Drake. They meet Drake, not yet. A multi-million dollar recording artist. He's yeah. instead a brother at this abbey. And he, he seems like a bit hesitant. He's like not really sure. He's like, I didn't hear anything about transfers. And they're like, yeah. They say they're from the abbey in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yorkshire? Jack's the one from Ireland. Yeah, that's right. And they're just like, well, you know, everyone's kind of still really that maybe why you didn't hear about it. Your abbot did just die a few days ago. But we have this letter here. And so, you know, he lets them in. He's showing them around. Yeah, and they're so- talking about how excited they are to meet Brother Curie. And they're told that they can't because he's in deep seclusion. They're being shown around, shown to their quarters. The camera, for some reason, specifically hangs on a monk who is self-flagellating. Yeah, just, okay. Just weirdly, like, this, like, in the middle of a hallway, this monk is just, like, got his shirt off and is whipping himself. Hey, it's the eight. Hey, it's the 80s, man. People do weird shit. I thought you were going to say, hey, man, it's the 8th century. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, that's why I hesitated. I almost said that. Legit, almost called it the 8th century. The, monk- the lighting in this entire castle is like always done in candles, except for one scene and another we see exit lights in the background. I'm convinced the exit lights are just there because wherever they were shooting, they could not take LaCroix, them down. LaCroix's office has has electric lights. It has the, a lamp that we never see turned on. The meeting room had electric lights. The showers and bathroom have an The electric meeting room light. has a lamp that we never see on. I'm convinced <laughs> they're just there a set decoration and this place doesn't have electricity except for in the bathroom. So anyways, they're told that there's a communal bath and shower down the hall. And that Ryan and Mickey will be bunking together. And once... Drake leaves. Mickey's like, I am not using a communal shower with you. And Ryan goes, well, one could hope. Yeah. Then he looks at her because he couldn't have been more incestuous just then. But he looks at her, he goes, that could be worse. We could have just had one bed. Mm-hmm. And then he flops down on his. Yeah. So um, then Drake also told him before he left that meditation's at 6 p.m. Yep. So they go to evening meditation, and afterwards they start sneaking about the abbey looking for Brother Curry. They also meet Brother LaCroix here, though. And, uh... Brother Fizzy Water. Yes. But Brother LaCroix here talking to Drake, the guy who showed them around. Yeah. LaCroix is already suspicious of them and thinks they might be journalists, maybe. He yeah. doesn't really believe them. And they're claiming to be brothers Matthew and Simon. Yep, brothers Matthew and Simon. Yeah. But then they go try to find Brother Curie. Yeah. And they eventually do find Curry by going towards the kitchen and waiting for somebody to take a tray of food out of the kitchen to deliver it to Curry because even if he's in sequester, he would have to have dinner. Honestly, it's the smartest thing that happens in either of these two episodes. So they follow the guy with the food. He takes it to Brother Curry. They then talk to Brother Curry and tell them they know about the pen. And he immediately freaks out, runs back to sequester himself back in his room. And then Drake catches them and is like, hey, yo, he's sequestered for a reason. Also, Leave him the fuck alone. Go back to your room. Well, he's like, like Brother Simon, because they've used the excuse that Brother Simon has taken a vow of silence. Yeah. That way Mickey doesn't have to speak. He's like, Brother Curie's also taken a vow of silence. There's a reason he's sequestering. He's not going to talk to you. So next morning, they're out doing yard work on the Abbey grounds, and a monk in a big hurry starts running by them, and they stop him, slow him down to Arupe. talk to him. Arupe? Yeah, his name is Brother Arupe, and he's in a hurry because the Oracle of Death has made another prediction. His prediction is that tonight, the abbot will die in his sleep. He'll choke to death. And they're like, Arupe, there is no abbot. You don't have any abbot anymore. And he's like, oh yeah. Yeah. So then we... Yeah. Then we cut to that night, and... Brother Arupe gets a letter. And he gets really excited, goes to bed, and like before he actually like goes to sleep, he goes, Good night, Abbot Arupe. And then... He's laying down in bed, his eyes are closed, and then they snap open, and he's like, Wait a fucking moment. He doesn't say that, but you can read it on his face. And then we see the canopy above his bed start to like 
come down like it's a fucking trash compactor. Yeah, it falls down on him and like smothers him to death. Mm-hmm. He manages to tell a hole in it to breathe, but then he still dies. Yes. And then brothers Matthew, Simmons, and a couple others show up in his room because they heard him struggling. Yeah. Matthew and Simmons being Mickey and Ryan. Yes. And they realize that the prophecy was right. Yep. That's essentially what that comes down to. Yeah. And then it's basically the next day and Jack has shown up because, sure. Yeah. and He couldn't come to begin with. And so before he shows up, Mickey and Ryan are outside doing more yard work. And Mickey is like bitching because she's like, I never wanted to get involved with any of this. Yeah. I I just wanted to get married and live a normal life. I don't know why I'm doing all this with you guys. And Ryan's like, shh, you got to be quiet. You can't keep talking. And she's like, I just, I don't, I just want to be a woman and live my life. And she's talking about brother. It's implied that some other brothers might be able to hear her. And then we cut to Jack, who is at the antique store making a replica of the pen. Yep. And then they're introduced to Jack a moment later, who claims he's from Ireland and he has a not bad irish accent for yeah. the show i think brother drake takes ricky takes ryan and mickey to the vineyards to do work after they clean up the grass yeah because that's what he told them their next job was so he carts them off afterwards but i believe during the time when they briefly meet jack doesn't jack mention he made a fake quill to them yeah he mentions yeah. the fake quill yeah and that's where they meet jack because they meet him in the vineyards so yeah, yeah, yeah so then we get a scene in the abbey somewhere in the basements of it, it seems yeah because they're overheard when they're talking yeah and it's curry who is just a guy named frank yeah a guy named frank and then we find out the the monk Lacroix. Yeah, the head monk who who is not the abbot yet, but soon to become yeah, the abbot. Lacroix, the bad guy. Lacroix is actually named Rupert, and he's the original owner of the the original yep. purchaser of the pin, and he's wanted for murder for killing his previous business partner. Yeah, he and, and Frank are hiding out to avoid prison. Additionally, they have sold the story rights for the life story of the Oracle of Death for a five hundred thousand dollar advance that they're splitting. Uh huh. And Rupert has the actual pin while brother curry who is frank is just playing a part as the oracle of death yeah to like keep suspicion off of Lacroix. yeah and so frank is telling rupert aka Lacroix, that basically he wants out people know he's he's scared he wants out money doesn't matter to me anymore and rupert's like well the money matters to me yeah and Lacroix's officer is like don't worry we can just write them to death basically yep so frank continues to try to back out but rupert writes his death in the book yep so that he Kills himself via guillotine decapitation because they have a full function, full on, yeah, functioning guillotine in the Abbey basement. It's so fucking weird. And also, Lacroix becomes Abbot like right around this time. Yeah, and obviously he plans on selling the monastery. So then he writes the deaths of Mickey and Ryan, who he calls brothers Matthew and Simon. He writes that they are killed by a tarantula in the night. Poisonous spiders. Yep. So we get that, we get a tarantula biting Mickey, but it's not like it's lethal. It's just a normal tarantula. There's like only a handful of venomous tarantula breeds in the world. Yeah, she's freaking out and Jack shows up and Jack's just like, nah, this little bugger's harmless. Jack does specifically say that there's only one breed of poisonous tarantula, which is wrong. And he, like, knows the species down to its fucking, like, Latin nomenclature. Yeah. So, the next day, they're alive at breakfast and talking, and Mickey's like, that's it, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm not, no more rice, we're gonna finish this and get out of here, I'm tired of this. Yeah. And Jack's like, well, it's gonna be dangerous getting all these back, you can't just let them be out in the wild, it's your fault they're out there too now, so. Yeah. You've got yourself into this mess, you gotta get yourself out. And then, Brother Lacroix comes out with Drake. Yeah. And he sees them, takes, does a double take. Because he's like, he, he, he... He's walking with Drake and telling Drake that, well, Brother Curie left behind a lot of predictions already. Basically, I assume just like cover his tail when he kills more people because of course he's going to kill more people. Yeah. And then he sees two people who are supposed to be dead. And he's like, what the fuck? So he goes up to them and he's like, you have any pest problems? I've been hearing about rodents and such. And they're like, no, 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 no such issues. So then LaCroix has Drake go talk to the press because they want to know about the death of the Oracle of Death. Yeah. And even though LaCroix is Abbott, he tells Drake, you knew him better. You should talk to the press. And also, once you're off the grounds, can you go send a telegram to our, to Yorkshire. Yorkshire to find out if they actually did send us two brothers and wait for the response before you return? Yes. So then... We get Jack kind of snooping around LaCroix's office looking for stuff. Yeah, because... They they didn't because, find the because quill Mick, well, in... Well, because um, Mickey and Ryan are being spied on too heavily. Yeah, and they didn't find the quill in 
Curie's room, which so is what I thought look, it would be. Yeah, so they go look in, in LaCroix's room because Ryan has come to the conclusion that LaCroix has to be... The, the murderer. Yeah, and he's right. Mm-hmm. He's, he's stupid and incestuous, but he's right. And while snooping through LaCroix's room, Jack finds a book with a, a signature from Rupert, whatever his last name is. Selden. For a, a sell of a property. And he compares it to the paper that they have for the, is, from the manifest. Which is writing from the Oracle of Death's book. Yep. And the, the writing matches up, which is bullshit, because the writing that LaCroix uses when he's writing as the Oracle of Death is like... Quite a, different. Illuminated ma- manuscripting. Yeah. Whereas his hand, his signature for his name would not be illuminated manuscript. Yeah. It's dumb. So anyways, we then get Mickey taking a shower, because of course we do. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason though there's a large ass peephole in the showers just yep. so the brothers can spy on each other while they're naked you know yeah and drake uses this peephole to spy on mickey while she takes a shower mm-hmm. realizes that mickey's not a guy and goes to tell abbott Lacroix now yes and he's like look so i got news brothers matthew and simon never left yorkshire they and did- also they died last night they were attacked by poisonous spiders mm-hmm. and also also brother simmons isn't a brother he's a sister giggle giggle Giggle, giggle, yeah. Yeah. And then Drake's like, I can have them removed now if you want. And so LaCroix goes, no, no, d- never you mind. Now that we know, we, we know we can handle it ourselves. Yeah. He tells Drake to go start evening meditation while he goes to do his own thing. His own thing is going back to his office to write their names in a book. But yep. instead he finds Jack there and Jack goes, I thought you were meditating. And LaCroix goes, I was pre-meditating and aims a gun at Jack. Yeah. Croy then, at gunpoint, drags Jack through the abbey down to the basement. Ties him up to the guillotine. Ties him up to the guillotine, then sets a candle to burn the rope to drop the guillotine to decapitate Jack. Yep. And then he heads off back to his office to get the pen to write down some stuff in a book. You know what I like, though? Someone has taken the time to restring this guillotine and polish its fucking blade in, like, the day after Brother Kiri killed himself. No one was like, you know, maybe we shouldn't have the giant thing... That cut off this guy's head here. Maybe we shouldn't put it back up on the rope. No. My, my bad. LaCroix doesn't go back to his office yet. First, he goes to a meeting. Yes. With, with a, a realtor. Yeah. And while he's doing that, Ryan goes looking for Jack because he's been gone for too long. And Mickey goes to find the pin. So Mickey finds the pin, swaps it out with the fake pin. Ryan finds Jack just before the guillotine burns through and chops his head off. He gets it free. Yay. LaCroix meeting with the realtor. The realtor is a scummy sleazebag trying to get 10% commission when he should be getting like two percent three point five percent is common for the size of the deal and then Rupert is just like you'll take 2.5 and i'm gonna get 15.2 million in cash which with inflation is like 38.4 million today and it's important to know that Rupert knows all this because he was a realtor yeah and then he be- murdered him before he killed his partner with the pen mm-hmm. and was wanted for murder so mickey and ryan meet up and they're with jack and everything and then Rupert shows up yeah, or so Abbott, they're all celebrating down, down in the basement. They're all like, he has the fake pin. We have the real one. We can get out now. And then he walks up and he's like, thank you for letting me know that the pin is a fake. Now, give me the real one. Holding them at gunpoint. Yep. So they give him the real pin and he takes the piece of paper that they had with them and starts writing about how they're going to die on it. Yeah. While he's trying to do that, Brother Drake swings a fire axe at him. Calls him a traitor. And that's the part that surprised me. Like, Drake felt like he was in on it. Yeah. Dra- obviously. I thought, yeah, I thought Drake was in on it, but he's not. Um, he's just dumb. And so, like, before he's put their names in, because he's, like, written how these brothers came to the monastery as imposters and were trying to take advantage of the abbey. And how they're going to die the most gruesome of deaths. And then, before he can write their names in, Jack is like, you should already check whose name is already written on the other side. And he flips it over and it's the thing he signed. And apparently you don't have to write the person's name with the pen if their name's already been written by another pen on that paper writing the deaths around their name. Which makes sense because him and Frank came to the Abbey as imposters themselves. Yep. So the death all still makes sense. And so for some reason, that means the guillotine becomes an animated living thing and chases down. It flies up and just it's just chasing him down. He dodges it. It slams it into a wall. And then he walks all the way around, aims the gun at the He's just like, hmm. Do you think it would be that easy? Uh, you know, he's like, he, I guess even the pin can, can get things wrong occasionally. Yeah. And they're like, it's behind you. It's behind you. And he goes, you think I would fall for that? And then... um, It it slams into his back. Yeah. And he's dead. And that's it. Yep. They go back to the antique store and that's basically the end of the episode. Well, the end of the episode is like, Jack is writing with a pen that looks like the pen because it's the replica. Well, he's not writing with it. He's holding it. And, and they ask like, him how to get which one's which. I thought that was in the vault. He's like, a true artist knows their own work. And then Ryan grabs it and goes, well, let's just see. 
I'll order lunch with it. And Something we'll- sinful. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Uh, they reach to grab him at freeze frames. Credits roll over an image of the pen. That's the end of the episode. This show is terrible. I am so glad we sped ran episode two. Yeah. You know what the worst part is? What's that? This episode would be good if they cut out like 20 minutes and all the fucking sexual shit between Ryan and Mickey, by which I mean just Ryan. Just cut out Ryan. I feel like when they were originally writing this show. They weren't related. Ryan and Mickey weren't related. But they were just like, And then somebody was like, well, how did they inherit the antique shop together? towards the correct answer should be mickey inherits it because that gives her a tie to it and just have ryan fucking work there yeah have him be a random guy who worked there yep easy enough the reason he doesn't want to get shut down is because he'd lose his job exactly easy easy fix but instead what if they were cousins who never met each other yeah it's fine they never met each other it's totally okay and he totally wants to fuck her even though she's engaged and has no interest in him whatsoever. Oh, and fun fact, it's not like they're cousins in the way that, like, it's not like Uncle Lewis was, like, a family friend that you call uncle. Yeah, no. Because he didn't leave any beneficiaries in his will. They are just the people who would be the they're his closest next of kin. Yep. Which means they're definitely related to him, so they're definitely related to each other. Well, he's Uncle Lewis to both of them, so... Yeah, but like, you could, he could be Uncle Lewis to both of them, and you know, obviously be like a family friend, but that's clearly not the case. They're just the next of kin, as determined by law. So anyways, what do you think of Friday the 13th, the series? Well, for episode two, and specifically, I think it could have been a good episode if you cut 20 minutes out. But the series? No, no. Like I said, decent bones, but it, it doesn't know what to do with anything. All I have to say is I'm really glad that I watched Friday the 13th, the movie, first. Where I would have never understood any of this. Oh yeah, exactly. Like, dude, could you imagine how confused you would be? The facetiousness is killing me. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's time for us to do plugs. Before we get deep into the plugs, though, I want to say over on Patreon, I am watching a movie every day this month. I'm a little bit behind right now, but I will get those caught up. There will be, at the end of the month, 31 movies. Well, yeah, 31 horror movie reviews by me, Josh, your co-pilot. Currently, there's only six up. There should be 22. My bad. Um, you want to head over to the Patreon, subscribe to our Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash review. Or you can find that by going to our website, copilotsreview.symbolcast.com, which has a link to our Patreon. It also has a link to our Twitter, which is at copilotsreview on Twitter. It also has a link to our email, which is copilotsreview at gmail.com. It also has links to our YouTube, our Discord, our second email, the, the hidden one that you can't actually get to. You'd find it it's in hidden. the analog back room area. It's hidden in the deep lore. And our Patreon, like we said. If you want to reach out to us, email, Twitter, Discord, all are good methods to reach us. If you have shows you would like us to review, or you have movie suggestions for me to watch for October, it's almost over, I'm almost out of time. Or if you would have Christmas movie suggestions because we're getting towards that time of the year. Or if you just think we're wrong about how bad this show was. I could see someone thinking it was worse than we said it was. Apparently there are people that think it's better than we said it was. Nope, they're wrong. But anyways, thank you for flying with us and we'll see you again on the next flight. Please fly again soon. 